And today's text comes from the Paul's letter to the Philippian church in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. It's the same passage from last week. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Last week, we spoke of thanksgiving and its power. And there is so much to be thankful for. I hope you had the opportunity to gather together with your families and actually express that together. This week, we wanted to talk about a second power that this passage of Scripture shows us, which is the power of peace, specifically the peace of God. And with that, I want to look at three blessings, three promises that God gives to us when we understand this peace. First, this peace starts with God. And second, this peace surpasses all understanding. And third is, this peace guards your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I mean, that's really straightforward. It's from the passage of Scripture. It's from the text directly. And so hopefully afterwards you'll, you'll understand why this is such a power for us as Christians. First, let's talk about this peace that starts with God. When Paul describes peace as the peace of God, he is expressing very much that the peace that he's speaking of is very specific. It's not just this general sense of peace, the peace sign that you might see in our world. When people talk about world peace, that's not what Paul's talking about. That is to say that peace always begins with God. It is from God. And that's the only peace that truly lasts. Because when we know and go back to Genesis, we see that there was this once, as the Hebrew calls it, shalom, a peace, a, a, a peace that passes understanding. And that existed in the world from Genesis chapters one through two. But once sin entered into the world, peace with God was broken. This garden is a really important place to look at when we think about this concept of peace. Because right after Adam and Eve sin, when I share that peace is broken, it's expressed through certain ways. It's expressed through their hiding. It's expressed through their shame. And they run away from God. They turn away from him. Because they know that, as God said, peace led to life. But a lack of peace leads to death. And so peace was completely broken. But in the midst of that darkness and death, God brings forth life and hope. Eve's descendant, as God says in these curses, but for many of us, when we think of these curses, what we fail to see is the grace behind the curses, because Really, they should have been wiped off the face of the earth at that moment, but God doesn't do so. In fact, he gives us a look towards the future, and this look towards the future is Eve's future descendant would crush the head of Satan, and sin and death would no longer reign. And then God, 
he acts by initiation. He covers their shame and guilt when they had covered themselves very uh, flimsily with fig leaves. And that's just a physical manifestation of what they were trying to do spiritually in their souls, cover themselves, hide, run away in shame. God realizes, and he knows that's not going to do it. And so what does he do? He actually goes down and there's a shedding of blood. There's animal skins, animals being sacrificed to cover their sin and their shame. And it would be a forever reminder of the cost of their rebellion and their sin. That blood needed to be shed to bridge the gap, the chasm that was now there. So the peace that would was broken in order for there to be a renewal of peace to some semblance of peace, there had to be bloodshed. And God says that, well, the descendant, the seed of the woman is going to come. It's going to crush Satan, the serpent, and they would reign and rule with him again. This time of the year is a great time that we see this come to fruition as different parts of the Bible of scripture and prophets and different people predict the coming of this descendant. And so Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 9, 6, which is so often quoted during the Advent season, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and yes, Prince of Peace. Jesus tells his disciples that his peace is what reminds them that God has come to save them. John writes in, and records in John 14, 27, peace, Jesus says this, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. So God's peace, the peace that Jesus gives, is one that is going to last. But it would come with such a high cost. We can't ever forget that. Listen to how Paul describes it in in Romans 5.10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Peace is actually a means by which God's people come together with God by God drawing them near to himself. Peace is reconciliation. A lack of peace is conflict, division. And we know that to be the case from Genesis all the way through to today. But we know it in our own hearts, in our own relationships, that when there is peace, there's reconciliation. There's full access to one another without any hindrance. But when there's conflict, when there's sin, there's separation. So those two themes are all throughout the Bible. Reconciliation, separation. You can't forget that. We have to understand that when there's conflict, when we're at odds with someone, it, it really sinks to your, the pit of your stomach. I mean, you feel conflict. You feel separation. It bothers us. It's hard to sleep. 
we might look outwardly fine, but inwardly there's a wasting away. There is no peace. Now, consider if you did the most terrible thing to a loved one, something that you believe there could never be a possibility of reconciliation. There was a a deep betrayal of trust. But not only is there reconciliation, but the person you have hurt has borne the cost of your sin, of your brokenness, of your hurt. How much peace would there be if that person came to you and said, I forgive you, and I'm going to love you, and I'm going to walk by by your side. I'm not going to leave you. That would lead to such peace. And when you know that that's exactly the peace that Jesus gives to us, he did all the work to reconcile us to the Father. When we did nothing except be antagonistic, hurtful, painful, cause our God suffering, and he still reconciled us through his son. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 19 through 20. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Again, the ministry of reconciliation is rooted on the peace that we have with God. If we know fully that we are undeserving of that peace, God initiates that peace. God restores relationship. Despite our betrayal, despite all that we've done and rebellion, and it's not just past, it's present and future. He knows everything about us. He knows the ways in which we're separating ourselves from him. And yet he still gave his son. If we understand that, what Paul is saying is, therefore, we are ambassadors of this peace. We're telling others about this peace that we have for ourselves, that we implore others on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. There is a outward flow of this peace. It impacts those around us. So the next time we're in a conflict, Or the next time we are encountering someone who is difficult, always remember the peace that God has made with you on the basis of only his son and nothing to do with anything you did. Therefore, it causes us, it should cause us to initiate peace, to initiate reconciliation. There should never be an instance in a relationship that we have where someone has hurt us And we believe there is no way it's impossible that we will ever be reconciled. Reconciliation is possible if we believe in a God of reconciliation, a God of peace. So practically, this means that even as Paul said earlier, when we pray with thanksgiving, we pray with a heart of thanks and praise, and that is rooted on the peace that God gives to us. So always note that that peace starts with God. It began with God, and it causes us to go outward with that peace. Secondly is that this peace surpasses all understanding. When Paul says that this peace is beyond our, or transcends, as the NIV says, transcends our understanding, it means that this peace doesn't make sense to the world. It's beyond the grasp of a world that 
the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Because how can a person give thanks to God and have peace when they've received a diagnosis of cancer? And that doesn't make sense. How can someone experience the death of a loved one tragically, suddenly, and still have peace? Is that possible? Can you have peace if you are the breadwinner for your family and you've lost your job and you have no way to make ends meet and yet there's still peace? If we are a people who are of God and who have peace, the peace of God, then we need to actually be in possibly positions where that peace is manifested. And those times where it is most difficult to have peace will be a true test whether you understand the peace of God or not. How you live when it is hard, when you're sick, when a loved one is sick, when you're tired, when you're worn, when you're suffering, that's going to be the truest test of, do you have the peace of God or are you striving for your own peace by your own merit and strength? I remember hearing so many stories of when you go to Africa, you meet the care workers. The care workers, and most of us who have gone know this, they are just as poor as the children and the orphans. And many of them have suffered tremendous loss. I remember one time sitting on the back of a bus next to a care worker, and she was telling me the story of her family. She had lost seven of her children. And we, we got off the bus went inside the church and I look at her and she is singing songs of praise and thanksgiving. And I remember asking her, how do, how do you, how do you have that? Because she had a peace, the peace of God that transcends all understanding. That's what this peace is about. This peace is beyond reason, logic, and human comprehension. And if we are only a people who have peace when it's logical, reasonable, and everybody else understands it, then no one will ever be amazed by the peace of God in our hearts. It takes a supernatural peace that comes from knowing that we have this initiatory peace of God. That's why Jesus was able to sleep on a boat. And if you've ever, in a storm, if you've ever been, I've been on a boat in a storm, it's actually really scary. When the boat is small and you're rocking back, and I don't want to get anyone seasick, but if it's rocking back and forth, it's quite scary. So the disciples acted very much the way that every normal sane person would do. But Jesus is asleep. And remember, the disciples were bothered. They were upset that Jesus was at peace. Why? Why was Jesus at peace? Well, it's obvious. He's God. He controlled the storms. The disciples, why weren't they at peace? Because they didn't believe he was God who controlled the storms. See, how you show and reveal yourself in your anxiety and your worries show your view of God. If your heart is flooded with fear and worry and anxiety, and talk about a time where fear, anxiety, and worry are constant. If that's your heart, 
it probably reveals what you think of God. You would have been you would have been on that boat as well, quaking in fear, saying, Yeah, Jesus says he's God, but I don't know if he really is. If you look at the New Testament and you see how the different disciples responded to circumstances that seemed as though you should not have peace at those times, again, it said so much about the God they worship. So when Peter and John are being beaten for the sake of Christ, and they go out after being beaten. And when I say beaten, it's bad, you know, really bad. So they're just limping out and and bloodied, and they're walking out. And Luke records that they rejoiced for the for the privilege of suffering for the name of Christ. That type of peace is otherworldly. Paul and Silas are in prison unjustly. An earthquake occurs. And first of all, they're in prison. Then an earthquake occurs. Everything's shaking. That's difficult. There's no peace in that instance. So this peace cannot be explained by the world. I want to tell you a story about um, one. He's a, he was a professor at Westminster, Dennis Johnson. He tells the story of the time his first son had been born. And two days after his birth, he had suffered a seizure. Uh, he had a most likely neonatal meningitis. And so he was taken to a hospital. And as he was following this ambulance, his car broke down because of the heat and the humidity. It had, it had broken down. So he got out of his car and they didn't have cell phones at the time. And he was able to go to a payphone and contact a church member and say, you know, can you pick me up? I need to go to the hospital. This is what's happening. So the church member comes, picks him up, and his car broke down. So now they're waiting for another person to come and pick him up, to give him a ride. And this is in the midst of having that dreaded, I mean, you can imagine your child be, is probably dying or at least seriously injured, and they can't even get to the hospital. He also describes how at this time of his life, he was very much a person of anger and fear. And so ordinarily, he would have been incredibly frustrated and upset. But he said that what he ex experienced this incredible amount of peace. Actually, it was so out of character for him. And this is what he described. He said, my heavenly father knowing that I needed him right then, had wrapped my heart in the protective armor of his peace, his spirit's kind and calming presence, and who could explain it? This is our Heavenly Father. The more we understand the peace of God, when we trust in him, when we pray to him, he is able to give us a peace that passes understanding, transcends understanding. The more you actively remember the God of peace, the God who achieved peace through Jesus Christ, his only son. Paul describes this person who remembers this as Colossians 3.15 says, this peace rules in your heart. It becomes king of your heart. And this ruling peace will come to you sometimes when you least 
expected, but when you need it the most. And oh, if you are struggling right now, and you're having a hard time because of difficult circumstances or difficult people in your life, and there's an anxiety that is gripping your heart, know that the God of peace has loved you with an everlasting love. He's drawn you with loving kindness. And when you cry out to him, he will give you that peace, a peace that surpasses all understanding. Next is, when you have this peace, it guards your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. In other words, we will never get this type of peace from our willpower or from sort of meditations or going through some sort of breathing methodology or coping methods or a support group. The greater the circumstances, the more difficult and pressing and trying the circumstances, the less you will be able to really have a peace, at least not this type of peace. The Army Corps of Engineers did a study on why the levees failed during Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans. And the reason was that they concluded, and it's pretty obvious, but the levees were not designed to support a water surge as strong as Katrina provided. They buckled under the pressure because it just wasn't designed for that. Well, my friends, your willpower, your intellect, your reasonability, your support groups, your personal meditations, it's not strong enough. It's not designed to withstand this type of pressure. It's not how you get peace. When we have outside pressures that keep us from peace, and I do think 2020 is, is such a great example. It's an opportunity. We can either look at this year as, this is a miserable year. I can't wait for the apple to drop on 2020 and 2021 to come in. But this is an opportunity to really test, who do I love? It really is this means by which we examine our idols. God is examining the idols of our hearts, of our church, of our families. And outside pressures that keep us from peace are not going to be warded off by our willpower or by our good works. When the dreaded news of perhaps cancer comes our way one day, or maybe a loved one coming down with dementia, or as Dennis Johnson shares, a baby born with a physical problem. Will power or yoga or researching cancer treatment options guard us from worry and anxiety? No, Paul says that we need a, a better guard. You know, the guard, the word guard used here is the word fortress. It's, it's a military word. It's a word that you use that you build up this fortress against outside forces. So when Paul uses this word that the peace of God guards, it's saying this is the means by which you protect your heart and you keep outside the enemy. And the enemy in this case are many things, many people. It's circumstances. It's Satan. It's your own sinfulness. 
It's other people's sinfulness. And all of that is trying to burst through your walls. If you are trying to think that as long as I concentrate hard enough, or if I watch just Netflix binge and watch 20 hours worth of movies, I can escape the world's pressures. Or if I travel to these places, then I'll forget. That's no different than the levees of New Orleans trying to hold off Katrina. The dams will burst. The enemy will get in. You can't hide. No, my friends, you need the peace of God. You need to remember that only the peace of God protects your heart. If you're fearful of Corona and everybody being sick around you, or am I going to get it, or my parents are going to die, or... Sorry, the, the vaccine won't help you. You know, the vaccine can come and it can actually get rid of Corona, but your heart is what's fearful, not the coronavirus, not COVID. COVID is just one of many things in our lives that can falter and fail and destroy. But it's possible, like Jesus, to be on a boat where there's a raging storm and it's going to capsize the boat. It should, and you still have peace. Or you have a child that is about to die and you still have peace. Or you have a debilitating disease and you still have peace. Or someone, or your husband or wife, after many, many years of marriage together, is suddenly coming down with dementia and you still have peace. It's possible. But do not think that if coronavirus goes away, that's when peace is going to come. No, if you do not have peace right now, you won't, you won't have peace even when the vaccine comes. It's interesting. In this season, we hear a new phrase for the word goodbye. You know what it is? Stay safe. Stay safe. I see it in emails that I get. Stay safe. Stay safe. Stay safe. We live in a world where the idolatry of staying safe has now taken over everything. You know, we've spoken about this many times before, but now that's all that matters because that is our God. It used to be that God is the means by which we stay safe. Now it's protect yourself from the virus. That's how you stay safe. Peter says this in 1 Peter 1, 4-5. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded. And by the way, this guarded is the same guard word. And it's not used that often in the New Testament that Paul uses. Are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. How is this being guarded? By God's power. Through faith for salvation, for salvation, your salvation, your name is being written in the book of life and God is the one who is guarding that. So you never need to doubt whether you are saved or not. You don't have to worry that some thief is going to come or a virus is going to come and take away your salvation. God is your guard. But here we are guarding our health, fearful. And so afraid of everything around us. Stay safe. I hope you can respond to that. I already am safe. Yeah, I am safe. I don't, you don't have to worry about it. You could say it, but I'm safe. Even if I were to lose my life, I am safe. Why? Because 
God has guarded my salvation. And this is again why Paul says, go back to Romans 5.10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. God reconciled us. He saved us. I love how Martin Lloyd-Jones describes this. And the argument is that if God has done that supreme thing for us in the death of his son upon the cross, he cannot forsake us now. He cannot leave us halfway, as it were. So the peace of God that passeth all understanding keeps our hearts and minds through or in Christ Jesus. In that way, God guarantees our peace and our freedom from anxiety. God guarantees our peace and our freedom. He's already done everything to make that assured. How could we ever think otherwise? We can't. We must not. Let me close with this story. I've been reading a biography on Jack Miller. For those of you who don't know, Jack Miller was a professor of practical theology at Westminster Seminary in the 60s, 1960s to the 1980s. He's actually the creator of Sonship. Um, he's the founder of World Harvest Mission, and which is now Surge, which the Phillips family is a part of. And Jack Miller, is he was influential for me personally. He's one of the primary means by which God used in my life to show me the, the gospel of grace. And uh, so significant. We were going through that in 2005. Actually, Sam and I, a number of us were doing that. My son, Jack, was born in 2005, and we decided to name him after Jack Miller. That's why his name is that. So he's obviously very significant in my life. Well, a, a biography of his is about to be produced, and I happened to get an advanced copy of it, and I've been reading it. And the more I read it, the more I'm just even more blessed. But what's very interesting is that early on in his life, he was a man without peace. He was the youngest child of seven, raised in the early 1900s. His father was a very successful man, and he was very much a loving father and wife. Uh, he loved his wife, loved his family. But due to a tragic accident while hunting, he was killed by a relative. So his family was left impoverished during the Great Depression. His mom eventually remarried to a man who would, in particular, beat Jack regularly. At the age of 12, he declared himself to be an atheist. By age 15, he moved to San Francisco during World War II to start life anew as a mechanic at age 15 to support himself because he wanted to get as far away he could from his broken home. After finding out his oldest brother, Leo, who was essentially his surrogate father, was killed on the battlefield in World War II in Italy, he moved back to Oregon. And in the midst of this deeply troubled state, through his sister, he came to believe in Jesus Christ. And he started reading the Bible. He still didn't get it. And as he was reading the book of Romans, he read alongside that a book by J. Gresham Machen. And he was reading then Ephesians 1, and through it, the Lord spoke to him, particularly about the doctrine of predestination. And for, for Jack Miller, 
predestination helped him to come to Christ. (laughs) Because for the first time in his life, he saw that his life was in God's hands. And he wanted some, he needed that. And I wanted to record for you his response because it really describes the peace that he found. He says this, at that moment, I was cut to the heart. I realized the utter impossibility of ever changing myself. I was hurt so deeply by the law of God, I couldn't even cry. I was beyond tears. All I could say is, God, forgive me. God, I had you all wrong. I will put down my weapons. I will stop fighting you. I could say, God, I don't know why you would want me, but I'm giving myself to you anyway here. I wasn't expecting anything, but when I said that, when the pride that ruled my life for the first time was exposed, cut into my heart by the Holy Spirit through the scripture, I was desperate and I was astonished by what happened to me then. Completely unprepared for it, the next moment, I knew assurance of total forgiveness. How could you know like that? I just knew that God had moved me, that he had received me, and my sins were on the cross and Christ carried them away. I had such peace in my heart. I was so filled with joy over the gospel. This broken man for the first time experienced such peace. The peace of God, which became a fortress around his broken heart through the ministry of the gospel. And his impact, this impact of God's peace. So he was a direct influence over Tim Keller, who learned under Jack Miller. Tim Keller learned of the gospel through Jack Miller. Jerry Bridges learned about the gospel through Jack Miller. Johnny Erickson Tata learned about the gospel through Jack Miller and numerous others. Most of those names I just listed have directly influenced me. And what you hear of grace is because of someone like Jack Miller. So without, and the reason why he was influenced is because he understood the peace of God, which built a fortress around his broken heart. A heart of fear and suffering and trial and pain and sorrows. And it freed him. Broke the power of turmoil and rebellion. I want to close with this one word from Isaiah 26, 3 to 4. This is what God says. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Isaiah says this. Because he trusts in you, trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. You keep him in perfect peace. This person, God does that. He keeps us in his perfect peace when our mind is on him, when we trust in him. And the promise is perfect peace. And the means by which this happens is the Lord is the one. He does the work. So my friends, For those of you who are struggling with peace right now, or scared, or worried, filled with anxiety, always saying, stay safe, stay safe, be careful, be careful, and forgetting that God, God's peace was broken, his heart was broken, so that he could reconcile us to himself through Christ. And in that reconciliation, we have a fortress before us. Do not trust in yourself, in the power of your will. But God can give you that peace. I hope you see that. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this peace. Thank you that you provide in ways that we could never 
have imagined or dreamt of. Lord, I, I just want to lift up to you this incredible mercy that you offer to us through your son, Jesus. I pray for those who are worried and anxious. I ask, oh God, that you would intercede. You already have, but help them to believe. Just like that man who said, I believe, help my unbelief. We pray, O oh Lord, that there would be men and women and children who would seek after you and trust in you. We pray that for anyone who has not known the saving love of Christ, that like Jack Miller would come, would repent, would turn, would come to see that there is no other hope than you. But when we yield ourselves, when we finally surrender, Surrender our fears, surrender our anxieties, our plans, our dreams. You give a peace that passes understanding. You guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We pray for that, O Lord. You are a God who is so faithful to us when we have been unfaithful to you. And you initiated that through your Son. We give you praise and thanks, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.